This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 671 with Asha Frost. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 671. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Asha Frost is an indigenous medicine woman and a member of the Chippewas of Nawash First Nation. She is from the Crane Clan, the totem of leadership, and believes in holding space from vision and heart. As an energy healer, homeopath, and mentor, Asha has guided thousands of people through profound and lasting transformation. Impacted by generational trauma and colonization, Asha has been on a lifelong journey of reclamation. A lupus diagnosis at age 17 sent her on a path of studying and practicing a multitude of energy medicine modalities with many guides. She has blended this life experience with her innate gifts and the wisdom of her ancestors. She loves sharing her medicine in powerful ways through ceremonies, teachings, and speaking events. Through this work, she loves seeing people reclaim their roots, find their healing wisdom, and rise into their power. Asha is also the author of You Are the Medicine, published by Hay House, and she has an Oracle deck coming out soon. And she's a shameless mom to her five and 10-year-old sons. I originally heard Asha speak in an event, a virtual event, uh, like a year and a half ago, and oh, she was just incredible. And I 
immediately added her to my list of dream guests and waited for the right moment to reach out and ask. And I did that a couple of months ago and she said yes. And here we are today. You get to hear this really special conversation. Listen in to hear Asha share the importance of acknowledging and not bypassing the trauma of the pandemic, how generational trauma and colonization led to her journey of reclamation, how her lupus diagnosis at age 17 impacted her life, the costs of her assimilation when she was the only indigenous child among white kids growing up, her sense of responsibility to represent her people and her ancestors, even if imperfectly, her vision for her book to decolonize and storytell, the difference between indigenous appropriation and indigenous appreciation and what she especially wants white women to know about both, the indigenous core wound of invisibility, and the gift of connecting to your own lineage and land in order to access your ancestors. This conversation was so rich in so many ways, and it is really, really special to me. I just so tremendously admire and respect the work that Ash is doing, and I'm so incredibly grateful to have her here today. So please join me in welcoming Asha Frost to the Shameless Mom Academy. Asha, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm going to give people a little background. So I heard you speak at an online conference about a year ago. I think it was last June. So about a year ago. And I knew I wanted to have you on the show at that time. And I've been stalking you ever since waiting for just the right moment to invite you on. And so you recently had a book come out, which we're going to talk about. And that was my in where I reached out and was like, please, would you come on the show? My people need your book. So thank you for saying yes. I have been looking forward to this conversation since I got to hear you speak a year ago. Oh, I love that. I love when I hear those stories. So fun. So can you tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio? And what are you most excited about right now? Oh my goodness. Between my personal, (laughs) I know there's a lot in there. It melts together a lot. The thing that's coming up right now actually is actually reflecting on after the pandemic time, because it feels like things are kind of shifted a little bit. So Mm -hmm. I'm just reflecting a little bit on parenting through that pandemic time, writing a book through that pandemic time. When we were in lockdown in Ontario, we were in lockdown a lot longer than many other places and kind of like regulated myself after that and feeling like, is it safe to breathe again? That's sort of swirling around my energy. But then I'm also just, I just have been in my Oracle deck. I have an Oracle deck coming out with Hay House next year. So I'm so excited about that as I just submitted the final copy edits and it's going to print soon. So that's coming out next March, but I feel like, I don't know, I just had this book, so I'm so excited about that. But then the Oracle deck just feels like a whole new level of medicine. I love that you mentioned the Oracle deck because when I was going through your notes in your bio and I saw that that was coming out, I was like, oh, I got to make sure I find out when that's coming out. Because if you want to come back on the show and talk about it and promote it, you can't. I can't wait for all that. So remind me or tell us, what are the ages of your children? So I have two boys, five and 10. Five and 10. Oh my goodness. Those are some big ages for uh, navigating a pandemic while writing a book. Yes, they are. They are. And when the when we first started, I think my littlest was two turning three. And that was really challenging. He was yeah. just small and needed a lot of me. So it's something that I think I was in a bit of freeze during that time of just trying mm-hmm. to get the things done I had to get done. And then also homeschooling, I realized I'm, that's just not my best role as a teacher <laughs> for, them for school. Same. So a lot of truth came forward about, around that time. Yeah. I have, my son is nine and I, 
watched neighbors and we actually live across the street from a preschool. And I thought, Oh my goodness, how are these parents doing this with like little, little, littles. So like I bow down, <laughs> um, cause that is really, really hard work. Can you tell us, so you just mentioned this two years and feeling a little bit like you were in a state of freeze. One of the things that I think we're going to recognize as we get past the pandemic, which will take a while still, <laughs> even though things are shifting, we're still not past it. I think what we're going to realize is some of the trauma that we endured during this time that we don't recognize yet as trauma, whether we're talking big T trauma, little T trauma. And so I'm curious if you have, if you're seeing any of that, sensing any of that, cause I know you do work around trauma and we're going to actually dig into it in just a minute. Some of the generational trauma that you've experienced and worked through. Yeah. The thing that I'm noticing in my communities that I'm, I'm serving or being present in is I think there's this kind of like, we just got to move on. And I think that we need a lot of space of acknowledgement still, especially for parents, especially for yeah. mothers, I'm going to say, because I think that there is, there's always a lot piled on us. But during this time, there was just so much, it was like, we couldn't even have a, a capacity for all that was on our, our plates. So in my experience, I feel like there's a little bit of a bypass of, we just got to keep going and we, because we don't know what's coming next either. Right. So the other thing I noticed is there was this like, maybe it's over. No, it's not over. Maybe it's yes. over for like creatives or entrepreneurs or people who have are visionaries, right? Mm -hmm. They had these plans and dreams. And then it was kind of like the capacity for that got so small if you had to be parenting or teaching full time or all the things you had to do. So there's a bit of trauma there where it's like open, close, open, close. And mm -hmm. I think that like lack of trust is now set up in our system of like, we don't know what's going to, we don't know what's coming. Yeah. So, that's true for me too, but I definitely, the people in my communities are, I think, feeling that and everybody's a bit frozen with their visions and how I'm moving. They're going to move that out in the world. Yeah. I'm sensing a lot of that too. And I've experienced that the open close. And for me, the open close has been like expand contract and like that contract gets a little tighter every time it feels like the rug gets pulled out. Cause we feel like, oh my gosh, we've been here before. Like, when is it going to really be the time when we can just can like have infinite expansion <laughs> and, and that's not how life works. I know, but it just feels like we have to keep reverting back to these moments that lead, I think, to doubt and fear and the really hard, sticky stuff. Yeah. And I think you know, that is part of life. And it was unnatural, like the way I think yeah. it's part of life, there's a cyclical nature to expansion and contraction. And I think that was quickened during this time. I think it was put on us from an external source versus us like being connected to our inner cycles as much. And, and moving through that naturally, it feels a little um, artificial almost. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I appreciate that point that it's been like this expedited <laughs> event that really has made that probably much more noticeable, that expansion and contraction. I want to talk about your life. And so you are on a journey of reclamation, which I'm really excited to dig into. And you say that your life has been impacted by generational trauma and colonization, which has led to this journey of reclamation and the work that you're doing now. Can you describe that journey to us? So I think that there's always like an awareness or an awakening as I continue to walk it. But it really started when I was 17, I was diagnosed with a chronic illness and autoimmune condition called lupus. And at that time, I was a teenager just doing my thing. And I was I lived in a fairly white town. So I practiced assimilating a lot. I practiced a lot of those trauma responses like freeze and flight and a lot, I think. And I got used to living in that way. And it wasn't, you know, on my healing journey, I sort of went at that time, I went to the medical system, the, the medication didn't really help, help me. So I had to go back to 
my ancestral ways, which is like the earth and healing from the earth. And things started to open up for me. My connection to the spirit world that was always there just really started to speak to me. And then also my connection to the land and the plants started to speak to me. So it was like this remembering that started to happen as I was kind of aligning with healing myself. And it just continued to open up from there. I went to university for psychology. I wanted to be a child psychologist. And then that just kind of didn't turn out. So then I went to homeopathy school and I learned about this vital force. We all carry this infinite divine kind of essence that we need to remember that sort of like, you are the medicine, the name of my book, you have this infinite light. And sometimes it's, it gets broken, it gets squashed, and we need something to catalyze it to bring it back into alignment for your vital force. So that's what I learned there. And it was um, pretty life changing because homeopathy changed my life. And even though it wasn't sort of traditional medicine from an indigenous perspective, it really lit up something inside of me that knew that I could heal myself and it doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to cure myself, but I could definitely provide or open up healing for myself. This episode is supported by Mysteries About True Histories, a podcast for your kiddos. So from the creators of the hit podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild comes the adventurous world of mysteries about true histories, affectionately known as math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs, making learning cool. This podcast is perfect for ages six and up, and new episodes drop every Thursday, each stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. I love a show where, as a parent, you're like, hey, let's listen or watch this or whatever. And your kids are thinking they're like getting extra device time or what have you. And you're like, they're learning right now. So it feels like such a big win. So I want you to go check out Mysteries About True Histories wherever you listen to podcasts. You can tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, wherever you're listening to this podcast. So go check out Mysteries About True Histories to listen in and have some fun with your kid while they learn today. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 50 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer endocrine system disruption and liver toxicity which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special unique and important in terms of how they are able to filter water they also have water purifiers to fit every type of home so like the installation free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options they even have wi-fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options so i'm so excited about our new AquaTrue and here's the thing I swear it's like 
a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. It sounds like that experience was really ground, like gave you roots that were connected to your genetic roots and your ancestral roots and also was really grounding for you. It was really grounding. And I think, you know, I didn't really delve too deeply into some of the generational trauma until I got a bit older because I, it's almost like it was just, it was kind of hidden a little bit and it wasn't in the conversations collectively either. So it wasn't until maybe 10 years ago that I started really asking about residential schools and what had happened to my grandparents and just finding a little bit more about those stories aren't always shared because of their traumatic stories. So yeah. I think that sometimes we don't share those things with our children. Um, so I had to ask questions, but the thing is, is the whole time I felt it in my blood. I felt it in my cells. Like it's always there. So I try to encourage parents, like your children know they have a knowing their blood, their waters have a, a wisdom about them. So it's going to come in their dreams. It's going to come in their, in their understandings. And so I think that telling those truths in the way that you feel is right is really important. So significant. It's interesting. I have a nine-year-old who's a pretty big feeler and I'm a big feeler. And it's interesting looking back now, I'm 46. And in just the last few years, I started looking back through different through other people, you know, my mom, her siblings, my grandma, and just putting together like little things and recognizing like, oh, there's actually something to like, he doesn't just have big feelings for no reason. Like there's something to where this comes from. And there's kind of, you can find some answers if you start looking backwards. And sometimes we're so stuck in the moment or caught up in the moment that we're looking for an answer in the moment. We're looking for a fix or a solution or a bandaid, or just like something to get, especially with little kids, like something to just get us through the moment. <laughs> but when we start to look back, we can see, oh my gosh, this is connected to a really, you know, long-term roots that have been there for many, many years. Yeah. And the most beautiful thing I think is that I always think that there are those like cycle breakers or ones who have sort of chosen to resolve it in some way, either bring it to an end, the cycle to an end or to transmute it somehow. So that's, what's really beautiful about our children, our descendants is I think as we do this work, you know, they're left with less of that to manage. And then you just think of what they can create from that it's like moving that sort of shadow of that medicine into light. I love that. So you mentioned that you grew up in a predominantly white neighborhood. Can you talk a little bit about the experience of connecting to your ancestral roots and going back and asking these questions? And when you weren't around people who had the same, I'm assuming probably didn't have the same connections to their ancestral roots, but definitely didn't have the same ancestral roots where there was coming from this really significant place of generational trauma. Yeah, I think, I mean, when I was growing up, <laughs> there weren't a lot of, there was maybe two Indigenous people in my high school and they're related to me. So I think I really just kind of 
walked out around the world, like I'm just going to assimilate into what is mm. most accepted and most normal. And it wasn't until probably a little bit later when I started doing uh, more shamanic work that I really started to feel that indigenous medicine coming online in my own system. And I, I, it was always there, but it's like, it really started to take over. My guides were informing me, my ancestors were speaking to me. And there's a lot of grief because I still wasn't, didn't have access to elders. We don't live in those communities anymore. So my elder is really my most treasured elder is my mother. She always held my sacred spirit in a beautiful way. She always sort of held spirit in our home. It might not have been sort of traditionally because we had been colonized to Catholicism. So we grew up Catholic, but there was always this energy of like the animals are guiding us. We are a reciprocal. We're going to live by the seven grandfather teachings. So she's the one that taught me those things and lived those out. And I see both my parents continuing to live those values out. But it, you know, I think some people feel like, oh, an Indigenous person lives this way. They live in community with these elders. There's elders are passing down information. But the sad part is the trauma of colonization is it's broken all of that. So yeah. I need to find a way. And my way is to connect to spirit, to land, like, because I don't live around um, a lot of elders right now. You had to really go seek that out. It wasn't just, it didn't happen to be right there. And that's like extra work and commitment and energy on top of what you're carrying from multiple generations of trauma, I would imagine there's like a choice to kind of just ignore that or really decide to dig into that. And it sounds like you made that conscientious choice to dig in and not to ignore. Oh, I love that. I think it is a choice. It is a choice too, because I think the most difficult part is the shame, like the energy of generational shame that comes from medicines being stripped away, from them being illegal, from them being beaten out of you, like that is carried in our system. So how do you acknowledge that and feel that and then move it through so then you feel a little bit more ease in the reclamation? Mm -hmm. And I think that that shame can hold us back, a lot of us back from reclaiming our roots. Were there costs to your assimilation? Mm, I think there's so much, so many. I think it, it impacts me every day when I think about how sad I am that I don't wanna know my language. Mm. How sad I am that I don't, you know, know, I, to learn a medicine song takes me a really long time. There's just a lot of things that cause me grief that sometimes I think this isn't my fault. So, like, I can get into the place where like, oh, I'm not good enough. I haven't learned this well enough. Even I was at an event last week for this council of elders and they asked me to introduce myself traditionally. And I was terrified that somehow I'd not speak it correctly. Mm. And they would know because they know how to speak the language pretty fluently. So I think there's a lot of those leaps that I have to take and stretches where I'm just going to have to be like, this is me. This is my story. This is who I am. And I know what my medicine is. So I just hope it lands for people. Yeah. But there's a lot of grief around that. I can hear in your answer how important it is for you to honor the sacredness of everything you come from. And I hadn't thought about the pressure that that would put on you because it's not just you being curious about your background and your ancestral roots, but it's, this is your life's work. So you've taken it to this whole, like very high achiever level. <laughs> yes, that is very clearly me. This is my Capricorn moon sign, I think. <laughs> it's me, but it's, um, I have that part of me. It's like a fire inside of me too. That's just like, this is for your descendants and those generations to come. Like this is for the children that were buried that were unknown, you know, in so-called Canada, like all these children came to light that were forgotten about all these graves. 
So somebody has to be the voice for that. And if I mess up and make mistakes and people admonish me or say, you know, you're wrong, then I guess that's what happens because I know what my purpose is. And the cost of not doing the, when you've come this far, the cost of like shutting down because you might not get it perfect, the cost of that's too big of a cost. It is too big of a cost. And I try to share that with others too, because I think we all have an element of that. Yeah, I think there are desires and something I know from living with a chronic illness is I know I only have this moment. I know I only have this day and, you know, people die and we might get that reminder for a day or two and be, oh my gosh, I have to do the thing. But if there's something that's burning inside of you, I do believe that now is the time the world needs it. Absolutely. And you mentioned earlier, living with a chronic illness, having lupus, you were diagnosed when you were 17. Talk a little bit about the impact of that diagnosis over the course of your life. And then how does that show up for you now um, as you working as a healer, raising children um, and all the things that you do? It's hard. (laughs) I think I realized over the last couple of years, I've been living my life as though I don't have a chronic illness. And I think it's not that I've ignored it. But I think that, again, that desire, that fire that burns in my belly is stronger than the illness at times. So it's like, I want to do these things. I want to make this impact. And my body is always the gauge to say, like, too much. You're going to burn out. That's a cycle I go through a lot is burnout. So I think my body, I've tried to befriend my body in knowing that it is my barometer for boundaries, for saying no, for overdoing it. Um, All of those things that I'm still learning every day. So I've tried to befriend the lupus in that way and seeing it as that sacred reminder that I can't do it all. But um, raising two children with a chronic illness um, is a lot on its own. And then doing all of these other things, I can really feel the impact of that since the pandemic. So I'm trying to be more curious and more intentional about loving myself through it. For people not familiar with lupus, what are some of the ways that symptoms might show up? Yeah, when I was a teenager, I had like inflammation of my lung lining and heart lining. I've had that a couple of times, pleuritis and um, pericarditis. Raynaud's phenomenon, which you would get like purple and white fingers and toes, so circulation and vasculitis issues. For me, I've had a lot of joint pain over the years, so arthritis, like when I was really young, where I couldn't walk or couldn't move. Um, My hands got really, at one point, they got really inflamed and I couldn't write for about six months or play the piano. That was really sad. I'm in fatigue, I'd say, hair loss. There's a lot of symptoms of lupus. Those are the ones that have impacted me, but no like deep internal organ stuff. So that's, I'm grateful for that. But it's been, I think when I've sat in front of the people, when I've served in homeopathy capacity or healing capacity, like it's brought me a lot of empathy when somebody says I have this, this pain, you know, it's just like, there's no question. I don't ever question how much pain somebody's Mm -hmm. in because I understand it. It's amazing how our biggest challenges also make us the best teachers (laughs) and the best bystanders to like sit next to someone and just be there in it with them. And when you're in really hard moments, it's really hard to be grateful for that. (laughs) We went through a long infertility journey and there was in, in the process of that, it was just a lot of like loneliness and isolation and feeling like this is just so unfair. And then on the, we got to a certain point I recognize, oh, but I can be in this with other people now and I can connect with other people in a different way. And I could start to see there's gifts in this. Like I wouldn't have chosen it, but all of a sudden there's a shift in perspective around if this is going to be part of my life, what are some of the opportunities that it opens up? And 
how do I want to use those opportunities? And a lot of really incredible things, including the podcast, um, came out of that opportunity that certainly did not seem like an opportunity when I was sitting in it for a number of years. I love that. And I'm just getting like, as you're speaking, um, a vision of when you do go through something, all of that grief and all of that, this trauma, it's like something inside your energy body shifts, I think too. So then when you are sitting with that person, it's like, there's that resonance, that, that comfort, that safety, that always just, it's already emanating from you. And that's every time somebody would sit in front of me, they're like, I always feel like I'm going to cry here. And why I'm crying in front of you? And I don't know why that is. And I just think like, yeah, there's that beautiful resonance that our medicine holds. And you have that now when you sit in front of somebody who has that same journey as you. And I just, I think that's such a beautiful thing about humanity. Yeah, absolutely. And I want for people listening who are maybe in a really hard moment or having, managing something that is really hard or chronic to think that there can be gifts in it. Sometimes it takes a minute to feel them, to find them, to see them. And, but we, it's interesting how, as soon as we give ourselves a chance to share a little bit in a safe place, what is reflected back to us and quick, the gift becomes really quickly obvious. And I know as soon as I started talking a little bit about infertility, other people started talking to me about it in return. And I saw this mirror and it became this entirely different thing in my life. Instead of it feeling like this really unfair burden, all of a sudden I felt like this is, I can do something with this and there can, I can learn from this and grow with this and be in connection and community with people who I wouldn't have ever otherwise been connected to. And that's meant so much in the, in the long run. I love that so much. Yeah. And yeah, anybody who's listening right now, there is, there's always medicine that you can extract from it. And if you're feeling not that right now, that's okay too. <laughs> Cause I think mm-hmm. so. Like, I don't want to think about that right, right. now. You're, you're allowed to just not, yeah. to just like sit in the yuck and not feel the medicine, but the medicine does appear at some point. It does. I want to talk about your book. So can you share a little bit about your book? And I want to go back to when I actually, when I heard you speak a year ago at the event I heard you speaking at, and before you spoke to us, you did a ritual with us, a little bit of a meditation. And it was just incredibly, you have that voice and people are going to know when I say that voice, the voice where like immediately everyone just wants to close their eyes and you get goosebumps. And when you start talking everyone's thinking, Asha, please just don't ever stop talking. (laughs) It just immediately goes to this really beautiful internal place. So that was my initial experience with you is that you did this meditation and it was just really beautiful and I wanted it to last forever. Um, But then after that, you were speaking for a while, which was also really incredible. And I wanted to learn so much about everything you were saying. And so when I learned that you had this book coming out and I downloaded the, well, first of all, I knew I was going to listen to the audio because I was like, I want to hear more of her voice. So I want everyone to go get the audio of your book. But when I started digging into the book, it was like going right back into that meditation, that place where I was, I felt held, I felt seen. And I felt like there was this really magical path that I could go down with you that I knew had so many gifts in store for me. So with all of that, can you tell people about the book and your vision for the book? Oh, I love that. And you know, the vision doesn't come as clear until people give you feedback almost because Mm -hmm. I had this vision of somehow putting the teachings that I've been sharing for the last two decades into a book. So I did pour almost everything that I had because I thought this is my opportunity. So I'm going to pour this in. I wanted to sort of decolonize way, I think. So I really wanted storytelling to be part of it. 
and legends were a big part of my childhood. That's how we learned about the natural world. So that was a really important part. And I was actually worried the publisher would take those parts out because I just was worried it wasn't the same format as their usual, the way their authors usually write. But they kept them in because I feel like we can teach from creation. And if cre all creation is animate, it has a spirit, um, how can we learn from that? So I really called upon like that childlike spirit for some of it to just invite us all into that part that still believes in magic and in spirit in all things. And I also wanted to weave in the importance of um, the history of Indigenous people and how to balance that appropriation versus appreciation. That was really yeah. important to me. It was a big mission to fit all of that in there, to be honest. And I worried, like I worried, am I going to upset Indigenous people? Am I going to upset non-Indigenous people? Like being that bridge for both sides can be very tricky because it's not like I'm trying to please both sides, but I would love to invite both people into reading it. I wanted it to speak to all people in that way. Yeah. So that was my vision. And I, after I put it out in the world, I wanted it to bring tears to people's eyes and I wanted it to help them remember who they were. That was just, it was a very simple intention. You can absolutely feel that really thoughtful invitation into your Indigenous world. And you do it in such a way that you prime your reader or listener to understand that this is something for, well, for me as a white woman, this is something for you to be a part of in a specific way. And there's ways that you can own and honor this. And there's ways that you are not invited to own and honor this. And the distinction I think is so, so critical and so important. At the beginning of the book, you wrote a letter to white women can you talk a little bit about, as soon as I heard it, I was like, hold on. Like I was in my kitchen. And when you said, I want to stop for a minute and with a letter, dear white women. And I was like, push pause. Like I need to really listen, <laughs> turn off the sink faucet. That letter was really, really important. Can you talk a little bit about what prompted the letter and then what was inside of that? Yeah. So that, that was like a 10 year agitation almost or shaking. It was like a shaking. I would just you know, it was, I started my practice before social media. So as soon as social media kind of came on, on the scene, I just noticed like even more our medicines being taken and commodified or taken so people could sell programs. And because it's been such a journey for me to reclaim the medicines and I've had to work so much through, much, through so much shame for so long, I struggled with, am I even allowed to teach this? Am I even allowed to share my own medicines? And then I would see these white women sharing them with so much ease. And I thought, what is going on here? How? Yeah. Like, they're not holding the whole picture in any way. And the Indigenous core wound is invisibility. Mm. And because we literally are just blanketed over constantly yeah. um, on the island so and, and everywhere. So I think that there is all of these things I had to wrestle with. And every time I saw that, I would just feel shaking. Like, how are they using that? And how are they not honoring the people they're getting that from? How are they not speaking about the issues Indigenous people face? Like, not that you have to speak about it every day, but it's like not even in the realm of thinking about it. And that was hard. And I, one of my friends said to me one day, I think you should write a letter. I think you should write a blog. And I thought, oh, I need to get this out of my body. So I did. And I just wrote it on my website, just as a blog post and shared it on Instagram. And it just went like, everybody started sharing it everywhere. So I wasn't prepared for the enormity of like how fast it traveled, where it traveled to. 
I didn't have the capacity at the time. I didn't really know a lot about nervous system capacity, but it was 2019, I think, maybe 2018. And it was just like blasted open. And I got all these DMs, all these emails, just white women were so mad at me. And they were telling me about their past lives as an indigenous person. And they were trying to defend all they were doing. And it was challenging. So I knew that there was something there. And this happened all before like the George Floyd murder and and all of that. So it was just before social justice became a thing, you know, on social Mm -hmm. media. So it was, again, it was like, I felt a little bit of like this invisibility because it was like that happened. And then it was just like, oh, everything you've been talking about for the last year and a half, like we haven't been paying attention. We don't really care. And then it comes back. So it's been a journey of just holding the truth. And that was my Mm -hmm. truth. And I spoke it and it was shaky and it was like an initiation mm-hmm. into the fire. Like I felt like I was thrown into a fire after that came out because it kind of prepared me for the book, I'm sure. <laughs> to come yeah. out in the yeah. It's good because now I've gone through that. Nothing can really come my way that really feels that hurtful because I kind of went through all of that during that time. This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily. It's very digestible. And the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert, Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. So the letter really addresses this, and you just mentioned it a minute ago, the difference between appropriation and appreciation. 
Can you touch on that just a little bit? Cause as you're talking, I know, and this is the experience that I had last year hearing you speak as well. I know that I have so many conscientious listeners who are like, oh shoot. Like what if I've been quote unquote doing it wrong? And what are the things that I can do that are appreciative of a culture or of indigenous people in this case versus uh, appropriative? Can you talk a little bit about that so that we can have some clarity? And then also people need to go read the book and listen to all this where you dig deeper. <laughs> yeah. Cause the book gives you a very, like there's one chapter with, it gives you very, like, these are top 10 ways you can appreciate, not appropriate Yeah, is really important. So the, the things that I think feel the most harmful are when, are when people take, like take and they use it for, they use it to make money from their programs or, yeah. or like they're using an ad and they're just waving a sage stick around, like mm-hmm. just kind of jokingly or using it, not, not in that respectful way. So the lack of reverence, I think is one big thing. Yeah. I am not, I say this often, I'm not the sage police. I don't think that you, I'm not saying you can't use sage, you know, and I'm not saying you don't have an animal spirit. I obviously wrote a whole book about animal medicine and how you can use that, but it's how are you using it? Are you honoring your teachers? Are you honoring the land that you're standing on and whose land that is? I think that's important. Are you honoring the history, like knowing that it was illegal for us to practice these medicines when you're taking them with ease? You know, are you knowing that history? Are you know, and maybe you don't and that's okay, but now you do. You do a little investigation. It just takes a half an hour and please don't ask an indigenous person to do that labor for you in their DMs, right? Like go and, and Google it, get a book. There's so many, get my book. Like there's so many books <laughs> yes. about that. Those things are, reciprocity is so important to like give back and exchange, uplift indigenous people, share where you got their medicines, make sure you're buying from authentic indigenous creators. Mm-hmm. And there's so many now, like there's so many brilliant indigenous creators across social media. There's a couple of things that I, I can think of on the top of my head, but there is sort of a list of how you can do it. And also, I don't want people, I say in the letter, like, I don't want you to turn away from our medicines because that's not going to help. This is an invitation to be in right relationship with them for us to do this yeah. together so we can walk together. Because these medicines, I know why you're drawn to them and they're here for yeah. a reason. They're beautiful. But how can we do this in walk in a good way? That's the way we speak about it. We walk in a good way with these medicines. And there's no perfection. Like, I never want people to feel, I know I'm not responsible for people's shame, but when I'm speaking of these things, I encourage people to, we've all made mistakes. So can you place your hands on your heart and can Mm -hmm. you acknowledge compassion for yourself that you might not have known because we're all human and we don't know sometimes we might've messed up and appropriated and harmed people. This is a space for repair now. So, well, now I know, what can I do? Maybe I can donate to indigenous organization. Maybe I can uplift indigenous influencer. Like maybe I can start seeing that um, there are people that don't look like me that also are in these realms and make it an equitable space. Yeah, absolutely. That's so helpful. I think that your point around when you know better, you can do better. And that doesn't mean that you have to carry shame from how you've done things in the past. There's opportunities to do things differently moving forward and to also go back and correct mistakes or make up for mistakes. The invitation to honor and appreciate, I think is really important because I do think that people can be so worried about doing it wrong that they just disconnect completely. And so I appreciate the ways in the book that you make it really clear. Here's how you can do it. And here's what is absolutely appropriate and appreciative. And I want to get back to, you talked about the core wound of invisibility. I think that if we can we, meaning me, white women, 
if we can continue to remember that that's the core wound and how can we make sure that we are not making another person or another group of people or an entire population feel invisible because of a choice that we're making or something that puts the spotlight on us instead of someone who is actually more deserving of it. And because it's whatever the spotlight should be on should be connected to where something originated. And I think that piece is really important as well. Yeah. And I do speak of this quite a bit because it took me a while to really see how in the social media world, how things happen, how things work. And I just see platform as so interesting, right? Like how quickly white women can rise with ease. Like it really, it's really a thing. So if you start looking around, how many indigenous, how many indigenous authors do you see in the mm-hmm. wellness world and the spiritual world, world? Who are the best sellers in those mm-hmm. in those spaces? Who gets the most, um, I don't know, the most uplifting, right? Like all of that is so big. I'm grateful that Hay House gave me this opportunity to take up space in this publishing house. And it's also a lot when there's not a lot of indigenous people there to hold space there and think, how do I fit in here? So I think that just, just being curious and being like, oh, you're right. I don't really, I don't really see that. And all of the big players are usually white women, um, white men first, and then white women. Mm -hmm. And then it's not common for us to have a spot at the table. I also think it's important for us to recognize and get curious and really take note around how easily we trust the rising white leader. Mm-hmm. And so the rising white leader who's talking about healing and we're like, yes, amazing. And their platform is growing, their social media platform is growing and they're having best-selling books and all that. And this just like ease of trust is just there because it's what we we're seeing something that we're used to seeing. And we that ease of trust is not there with something that we haven't seen for more frequently. And so checking in with ourselves and recognizing like, Oh, Hmm, maybe there's other people who are doing really amazing things. And I just, in my own unconscious bias have always leaned toward what's most familiar, but that doesn't mean that it's the thing that is the most helpful or beneficial. And it could actually be harmful if I'm just blindly following the same kinds of people, kinds of leaders, platforms, et cetera. Yes. I love that so much. And I think even like that privilege platform has a lot of privilege. So somebody who has a lot of platform privilege is going to get a way higher deal book deal. They're going to get, Mm -hmm. they're going to get multiple deals from around the world with that. Right. It just, that's the privilege that you have. So I think there's a lot of nuance. There are a lot of things to think about. So thank you for bringing that up because I think just being curious, just opening our minds and hearts to like, oh, this is the way I've always done it. This is what I'm naturally inclined to. How can I just stretch myself a little bit? Yeah. I want to talk about lineage and ancestral guides a little bit because this is such a important component of the book. Can you talk about the significance of grounding into our own lineage and how we, in meeting our ancestral guides? And I mean, this is really, and this is a place for appreciation where you're inviting people into culture that I'm not familiar with, but oh my goodness, have like so much to learn from that could be so meaningful in terms of how I show up in the world and how I, and who I am becoming as a mom, as a leader, as you know, a, a citizen, a member of various communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that part of the book and that the intention of the book is about connection. Because I think that, you know, when you're asked in the coaching world, what is the problem you're trying to solve for people? I know connection doesn't sound that exciting, but I believe that we are all disconnected, starting Mm -hmm. from the land, the lands that we're on. And even like, 
if your ancestors are from different lands, like, can you feel your connection to those lands, the medicines they carried, the foods they made, the rituals they practiced? Many of that is, a lot of that is lost for many people, even lost for us, right? But it's like, we still have a blood knowing and that water memory of being connected to the lands and our medicine. And somehow a lot of non-Indigenous people just kind of have lost that a little bit. So reconnecting to your own lineage is so vital. And it starts with, I think, just like, getting into your body, getting into your feet, feeling the land beneath you, and maybe just like taking a breath. And I love to imagine that your roots are going back to your own lands. And just, if you know where those are, and just exploring, what is the, is it different here? You know, what does the foliage look like? Like just kind of journeying back and um, talking to people who are still alive relatives that you can ask questions about the stories that maybe weren't passed down to you is really important. Connecting to ancestral guides is work I do a lot with many non-Indigenous folks. And once they're in that space to open up to the fact like, oh yeah, I have ancestors. And it doesn't necessarily have to be family that I didn't like that have passed over. Because a lot of people are like, why do you like a great grandma, whatever, right? It's like, no, it can be like an ancestral energy that is filled with wisdom, that is filled with support. I do believe there's obviously like thousands of those beings that can help us return back to the vision that they had for us. And then, you know, doing the work, if we are cycle breakers and ones that have been chosen to transmute this, how are we listening to that call of our ancestors? Because I believe that so many of us here, especially if we have descendants, I think we are visioning a new way for those beings. So how can we ask for the wisdom of the past that lives in us already in our DNA to be catalyzed into something so healing for the future? That's the way that I see ancestral healing. And I think we all can have access to it. We just haven't been taught. We haven't been taught that that is like a way in. Yes, absolutely. I know there's people listening, myself included, were like, yeah, I never knew I needed that. <laughs> My mom forgot to tell me that part. <laughs> I love this so much. I think this is so important and so significant and what a gift to be able to make those connections. And like you said, because we are so disconnected in so many ways, whether it's to our roots, whether, I mean, there's, we're, COVID has only made us more disconnected in so many ways. So having that place to put our feet on the ground and be connected, whether we're looking back or we're looking linearly like around us in terms of how we can be connected and what it looks like to pull our ancestral background into today and use that as part of what we want to take with us moving forward. Your book is called You Are the Medicine. Can you tell people who the book is for? Hmm. I think it is the book is for those who are searching for a different way maybe to connect than they've been used to. Like I think the ways that we've all been colonized to not believe ourselves or even gaslit to not believe ourselves, like knowing our wisdom, our connection to the spirit world, our dreaming, our daydreaming, like things that I think children do really naturally, especially those who we might call sensitive. They just have that sense and we get, it gets kind of broken from us. So this is an opportunity of reconnection. And I think perhaps for those two who want to walk in a reciprocal way with spiritual teachings that you may have learned from white teachers that might not be the roots of them so you might want to connect to more of like the origins of where those come from and also those who are searching for um probably healing in some way like i think i think it offers a lot of opportunities for healing for your heart for your spirit and for your body yes 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 oh my goodness i want everyone to go get the book can you tell us in what ways you're currently showing up as a shameless mom Goodness. I love that question. (laughs) Oh, I think probably 
I mean, I mentioned at the beginning, you know, where I just feel like I probably felt a lot of guilt over this pandemic time that I wasn't doing it all. So mm. I think I'm trying to be a lot kinder to myself and just say, like, give myself acknowledgement for what I have done. And I try to do that every day and probably just try to acknowledge the times that I am really present with my children, which is usually right before bed. It's just lying in bed with them and we do our gratitudes before night, before we go to sleep. And that's really important for me. That's like a really important part. I love that. Oh my gosh. That's one of my favorite things too, that end of the day, little snuggles in bed and <laughs> trying to pull little things out of them and you get the funniest things that they'll say at the, in those last minutes. Oh my goodness, Asha, I'm so grateful for this conversation. I want you to tell people where they can find you. If there's anything I've left out or anything else you want to say about your work or the book, please tell people how you work with people, how they can get the book and where people can stalk you online. So you can find me at asha.frost on Instagram. Ashafrost.com is my website. And if you do get the book, which I hope you do, you can go to youarethemedicinebook.com to download the free ceremony guide that goes along with the moons. It's a beautiful guide that you can use throughout the year to do the moon cycles um, in the best way. And yeah, upcoming, I mean, right now I'm kind of in, in a bit of, I just finished my Oracle deck, so I'm in a bit of a oh, so period, but coming up in the fall, I'll have some beautiful accompaniments offerings to the book. So be on the lookout for that. Awesome. Okay. So we'll put everything in the show notes. So if people go to shamelessmom.com, click on the episode with Asha Frost, everything will be linked. People can go right through. Definitely go get that guide to go with the book at youarethemedicinebook.com, which will be linked in the show notes as well. Oh my goodness, Asha, this has been so great. I'm so grateful and so thankful for all the ways that you show up in the world. And I appreciate you showing up here with us today. I've learned a lot and I feel like I'm going to carry your energy with me for quite some time now. And I'm so grateful. Oh, thank you, Sarah, for having me. This has been such a blessing. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly.
when it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.